And we are live. I'm here with E. Michael Jones, Dr. E. Michael Jones. How are you doing, doctor? Good, good, good to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. You uh, reacted to a recent interview with a controversial uh, Catholic priest, uh, Father James Martin. We're going to get into that and other stuff. But uh, as I told you before going live, I want to hear a little bit about you because I don't really know you. I only know about you by reputation. And, uh, you know, you're controversial in certain circles and these sorts of things, as was my former guest, uh, James Martin, for different reasons. <laughs> but uh, I really want to know about your your childhood. How were you raised? Uh, when did you first realize there's a God? Like this kind of a big moment in a child's life, right? Uh, often it's before the age of reason. You get impressions from a, a devout uh, family member. You get taken to church. You see the smells and the bells and you get an impression about God. Or maybe you meet a priest or whatever as a child. And it gives you a strange impression about religion. Or maybe you weren't even raised Catholic. I don't know. So just walk us through the whole story from early childhood up until today, touching on the highlights, conversion moments, and these sorts of things, if you would, please. Yeah, uh, I was born in Philadelphia in 1948, right after World War II. I was raised in a completely Catholic environment. Uh, so we were members uh, baptized into the Catholic Church as an infant. And then we moved, my f uh, father moved us, uh, me to a, uh, me and my mother to a, Irish Catholic neighborhood in Philadelphia. Uh, and this was the crucial turning point uh, after World War II when ethnic neighborhoods were declared uh, de facto illegal. Uh, it was known as the civil rights movement uh, in the South. In the North, it was ethnic cleansing. And so when the black uh, people that got imported from North and South Carolina crossed Lehigh Avenue in North Philadelphia, my family moved into what was in effect a suburb, even though it was inside of the city limits, where you had uh, a generic Catholic population as opposed to an ethnic Catholic population. And I grew up there, um, normal childhood, uh, went to a Catholic prep school, LaSalle Catholic High School in Philadelphia, and at this point uh, was kind of introduced into the broader world of Philadelphia. I have said repeatedly that the uh, political armature of American politics is ethnic and three ethnic groups based on three religions, Protestant, Catholic, Jew. And I was introduced into this dynamic as a teenager in Philadelphia. Just to give you some indication of where that stands, uh, if you're familiar with Colonel McGregor, uh, who's uh, had a lot of commentary about the war, a retired colonel, he went to Penn Charter High School in Philadelphia, and that was the WASP elite school in Philadelphia. And that was about two miles uh, uh, from LaSalle High School. And Benjamin Netanyahu also went to high school in Philadelphia. He went to Cheltenham High School, uh, which was about a mile in the other direction. So if you have within a three mile radius, you had the entire constellation of ethnic America, Protestant, Catholic, Jew. Wow. I went to LaSalle High School, too. Uh, LaSalle is, uh, he was Catholic, wasn't he, LaSalle? Uh, it depends on which LaSalle you're talking about. The Explorer, yes, was Catholic. Okay. Uh, uh, he, he was the famous French Explorer, but LaSalle High School was named after St. John Baptiste de LaSalle, who was a religious uh, uh, figure. Oh. Uh, and he founded the Christian Brothers, and they were the people who staffed the school. Ah. But it depends on where you were. There's a LaSalle, Illinois, named after the explorer. <laughs> the famous, famous explorer moved 
walked uh, about a block away from where I lived, walked up to St. Joe River because he missed the portage. So two different LaSalle's. So I went to uh, a Jesuit college, St. Joseph's College, now St. Joseph University. So I have some exposure to Jesuits. And it was during that time that I basically lost the faith, Catholic faith, largely because of the Jesuits. And uh, to fulfill this ethnic dynamic, I, I think I became a Jew because I ended up working for Jews. I was involved in the art world in Philadelphia, which is very important in Philadelphia because that's the main accomplishment of Philadelphia in American culture. Uh, because Quakers can't talk to each other, so they have to paint pictures. Uh, became involved in that, and it was dominated by Jews. And I think I was, my apostasy, another way of saying that, was that I became a Jew. <laughs> then uh, I went to Germany. I taught uh, at a gymnasium in Germany. I got three job offers during the summer of 1973 when they were desperate for teachers. So I ended up teaching uh, English at a gymnasium on the Lower Rhine. And it was there that I came back to the faith, uh, largely because I read uh, The Seventh Story Mountain by Thomas Merton. Uh -huh. And so at this point, I spent three years there teaching English. Then I came back to the United States, back to Philadelphia, to Temple University to get my PhD. And at that point, I uh, got a job. I was actually one of the few English majors who got a job. I got a job at St. Mary's College in South Bend, Indiana, outside of South Bend, Indiana, right across the street from Notre Dame. And tenure track contract. And one year after I got there, I got fired. And I, I got fired because I was against abortion. Oh. So I, I kept saying, well, wait a minute. No, no, you must, you, you must be pro-abortion. No. I was fired because I was against abortion, fired from a Catholic college because the feminists had taken over St. Mary's College, which is to this day. It was a feminist school. Now it's a lesbian school. But um, that's what happened. And I didn't know because I've been out of the church and out of the country for about 10 years. I just didn't know what had happened. So instead of going back into academe, I uh, decided to set out as a journalist. And I created a magazine called Fidelity, which is now known as Culture Wars, and I've been doing that for the past 40 years. So that's uh, pretty much uh, what, what happened to me. Over these 40 years, I had the independence, because I basically created the magazine, the independence to do real research. And so I found out why we were ethnically cleansed. I wrote a book called The Slaughter of Cities, Urban Renewal as Ethnic Cleansing, which is the whole story of social engineering in place, cities, big cities of the North, like Philadelphia, Boston, Detroit, Chicago. Uh, I also wrote a book uh, based on my experiences at, no at Notre Dame, uh, which was uh, called Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. And that's uh, the book that allowed me to understand how sexual liberation could be turned into a form of control. That's the subtitle, that's the book. And over the course of this, I also wrote a biography of John Cardinal Kroll, who was the Archbishop of Philadelphia. And that allowed me to get access to all of the diocesan archives. All of these papers that had been, you know, just no one had ever seen them before. It was the first one to go in. We, we codified the uh, documents. And that allowed me to understand the inside story of what happened to the church. And one of the crucial uh, uh, events in, this, in the Catholic Church during the 1960s, I focused on the 1960s, was the basically WASP campaign to overturn the church's teaching on contraception. 
That was an inside job. It was a secret operation, uh, their terms. And it was basically the Rockefellers contacting Notre Dame to hold a series of secret conferences on contraception from 1962 to 1965. No wow. one knew about it before I discovered it and published it in uh, my biography, John Cardinal Crow and the Cultural Revolution. One of the crucial players in that was obviously Father Hesburgh. He became uh, chairman of the Rocke uh, Harvard Board of Overseas. He was on the Rockefeller bo Board of the Rockefeller Foundation. He became completely embraced by the establishment. But the other significant player was the Jesuits. Jesuits at this moment in time were working for the enemies of the Catholic Church. And that meant the wasps and the Jews. Uh, so why, uh, why, why do I say this? Because the memos back and forth between Cardinal Kroll and uh, Bill Ball, who was the lawyer for the Pennsylvania Catholic Conference, pretty much stated, you can't trust the Jesuits. Every time we share something with the Jesuits, it ends up in Leo Pfeffer. He was the Jewish lawyer for the American Jewish Committee, who was the architect of the school prayer, to, uh, to, uh, Shemp versus school board, Abington versus school board versus Shemp, school prayer, overturning school prayer, and also the Catholic education bills, Lemon versus Kurtzman and Tilton versus Richardson. These were the big Supreme Court battles in the 60s. The Jesuits were working for the other side. They were working for the Jews and for the, the WASP elite. And that's what I discovered then and only got worse. So basically what happened here is now the Jesuits have taken over the Catholic Church. Uh, ah. You probably you probably know that uh, Pope Francis is a Jesuit. Yeah. Okay, Pope Je Francis is to the Catholic Church what Joe Biden is to the to the White House. He's an old man. He's even older than Joe Biden. No one man can run something as big as the Catholic Church, and so he has to rely on his order, which is the Jesuits, and basically that same group of people. That were on the wrong side of the culture wars during the 1960s is running the Catholic Church. And no one epitomizes this takeover better than Father James Martin. Father James Martin, there are bishops and cardinals. When a cardinal objects uh, to uh, 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 some uh, clause in uh, an encyclical, he gets fired from his job. He gets frozen out. The Pope won't meet with him. James Martin can meet with the Pope uh, like that. He can have a 40-minute audience with the Pope whenever he wants to. And I am going to conclude that he's running the church <clears throat> by giving you a simple example. The Pope went to Uganda. What did the Pope do when he went to Uganda? He basically told them to decriminalize sodomy. Now, why would he do that? I'm saying it's because James Martin told him to do it. James Martin is the foremost promoter of homosexuality in the Catholic Church. That's why he's controversial. Well, okay. let, me, let me ask you something, because uh, I've asked many rad trads, conservative Catholics about uh, Father James Martin. Like, give me some concrete, hard evidence out of his own mouth. What has he said that goes against Read church book. teaching? Read his book. I bought his book. I haven't read it yet, but uh, I'll read it. Yeah. What, what well, does he say in there that's controversial? He is, promote, he is promoting homosexuality. That's controversial. Now, he can say, it's oh, it's pastoral. Yeah. It's outreach. We yeah. need to build bridges to the homosexual. He's giving them a legitimacy that they do not deserve. But, 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 but 
Pope Francis, the vicar of Christ. I don't know if you accept him as the vicar of Christ or not, but Pope Francis, the church says he's our Pope, and Pope Francis said he kind of slipped up and let the uh, let us see the iron fist in the velvet glove. He said, everyone's welcome to come in, but you have to follow the rules once you're in. So that was kind of like, oops, we let the secret out of the bag. You have to be Catholic once you become Catholic. So I think, I think there's maybe some 5D chess taking place here that you're not aware of, like that they want to bring people in. God's using Pope Francis and James Martin to bring people into the church and then make them Catholic. And I think that's, that's pretty cool if that's what's happening. You're right. So when I say... Uh, why did he go to Uganda? I think that was James Martin. Uh, does he think that uh, sodomy is a sin? Yeah, I think he does. Whether James Martin considers it a sin, that's a big question because he won't answer that question. I have done this before. There was a lady by the name of Janine Gramick, who's uh, the head of New Ways Ministry, who is pr promoting homosexuality. There's no question about it. She came and gave a speech at Notre Dame, and I said, do you accept the church's teaching on homosexuality? And she said to me, I am not going to answer that question. Now, this is a lady that received an award from the papacy of uh, Pope Francis. That's promoting, that's promoting sodomy. Now, whether he's conscious of this, whether he has this crazy pastoral idea that you can, I mean, we all say you love the sinner and you hate the sin, yeah. but the, the, the work of John, uh, James Martin is deliberately blurring this, this line. It's deliberate, and the net result is the promotion of sodomy in the Catholic Church. I want to take this one step further because I listened to the interview when, yeah. you, when you talked to him. You said, what about the Jews? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And James Martin said, well, ever since Vatican II, all of the popes have said that anti-Semitism is a sin. Sin, yeah. Well, would you please explain that to me? Now, wait a minute. What do you mean by anti-Semitism? We have just had a conflict here between Elon Musk and the ADL. You're probably aware of this. The number one trend on Twitter for a while was ban the ADL. Hashtag ban the ADL. Now, when you say, when James Martin says... Uh, he's against he, uh, uh, the anti-Semitism. Does that mean we have to accept everything that the ADL calls anti-Semitism? I hope not. I hope not, too. Does this mean like in Canada, there's a truckers, the truckers uh, come to Ottawa yeah. and the, the prime, uh, one of the members of parliament says honk honk equals Heil uh, Hitler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that does that mean if you beep your horn? in your truck in Canada that you committed the sin of anti-Semitism? This is a crucial issue here. Okay? I got my uh, honk honk uh, Heil, okay. my Heil, is, my Heil this, Hitler shirt. This is a classic example of, of the crisis that we are facing right now. Yeah. If you're in Canada and you're a trucker and you want to protest against the COVID regulations that are destroying your business, all you have to do is have someone pick up a flyer uh, which uh, uh, says something or other, and you're guilty of being an anti-Semite, and they can freeze your bank account, and you're also a Nazi. This is an intolerable situation, and not only is... James Martin promoting homosexuality, he's promoting this form of thought control in the Catholic Church by saying that anti-Semitism is a sin. At the same time, he's, he's promoting sodomy, which means I guess you don't think sodomy is a sin. You're putting this burden on the Catholic people by saying that anti-Semitism, which no one has defined, 
is a sin. This is an intolerable situation. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, that young Catholic? Uh, he's controversial too. Uh, Nicholas J. Fuentes. Nick Fuentes. Yes. Yes. I, I like him. I listen to him and I disagree with him on some stuff, whatever. Um, but I like what he says. He says that, you know, he's Catholic, so he can't hate the Jews. He can't hate anyone. He's Catholic. But he, he right. wants he wants Christ to be king and he wants our leadership to have Christian principles and to be Christian and to, you know, so that we can have uh, Christian leaders. And, you know, I think that's nice. It's a nice it's a nice dream to have. It's obviously not reality. We live in a world where there are all kinds. And when I asked Father James Martin about this, he said, well, if Christians got in control, they'd persecute everyone that's not a Christian and whatever. I thought that was a rather a strange answer. That's to give. an interesting thing for a Jesuit to say, isn't it? Who is this man working for? Who is James Martin <laughs> working for? Is he working for the Catholic Church or is he working for George Soros, who gives a lot of money to the Jesuits? Oh. I think it's obvious who he's working for. Oh, well, you know, I'm I, I'm very I admit to being very ignorant about politics, economics, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't really understand all that thing, that sort of thing. My analogy for the way the world works is that Satan is the prince of this world and that it's a lot of mafias competing like demonic mafias running the world. And we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. So we try not to be too worldly, but we have to, uh, you know, have, as Pope Francis says, we have to have the, the smell of the, the, the flock, the smell of the sheep. We have to be involved in these sorts of things. So it's a balance we have to walk. You know, I got to pay my bills. I got to go to work, even though, you know, there may be some corruption in the higher levels of where I work, whatever. Um, for example, I'm not saying that that's the case, but it, we live in a dirty world. And if I were, the analogy I use is like we're in a, in a prison planet. And if I were to actually physically enter into a prison, God forbid, I would not be so naive to say, well, I'm going to call out the mafia, this mafia and that gang. And I'm going to like clean up shop because it's a, it's a very dangerous thing. Like what you're doing, confronting Jewish power or whatever it is that you're doing, I think it's a very dangerous and maybe reckless and maybe even foolish thing to do because uh they they have the power if if what you believe is true and i don't know what you believe exactly but if if what you believe is true it's a very dangerous thing to confront that power even someone like uh justin trudeau is not very manly or, or scary i mean i think it's kind of foolish to confront him head on even though he's just a figurehead and a puppet too um but my my overriding point here is that we have to just put our head down as Christians and try to get right with God and make it to heaven and educate our families and our children and these sorts of things so that we can go to heaven. But to fight the big fight and go, you know, confronting Satan head on and these these big mafias, whether it's a Jewish mafia or a Italian mafia or whatever it is, I think it's a little bit foolish and a little bit of a waste of time and energy. So what do you say to that? It's called quietism. It's a heresy. It was dismissed. Uh, the, we are called to be a light to the world. Jesus Christ said, don't put your light under a bushel basket. Don't use the church as a way of hiding out from reality. The church yeah. is our mother. Yeah. The church will protect us. But if, if you don't contest the powers of this world, yeah. uh, they will rule. Yeah. They will rule. And the church has always had the mandate to uphold the moral law. And the church has been willing to do this in a courageous and public way. And I'm talking about not too long ago in the United States of America, when basically the Catholic Church imposed the production code on Hollywood. Uh, that I, meant... Yeah, go ahead. That meant that they, there was a crisis in Hollywood at this point. The Jews had invested 
a lot of money. They borrowed a lot of money to get into talking pictures around 1929, just as the stock market collapsed. Okay. So they're desperate. And the head of the bank of America happened to be an Italian Catholic. And he said, I'm not going to lend you any more money. So they were facing bankruptcy. At that point, the Catholic church called a boycott of Warner Brothers theaters in Philadelphia. Cardinal Doherty called that boycott. And Warner Brothers was losing $100,000 a week in Philadelphia. That's just Philadelphia. And they threatened, if you continue this way, if you don't back down, we're going to extend it to every big city in the North. And at that point, the Jews capitulated. And they, uh, they implemented the production code, which meant no nudity, no blasphemy. All of the films that you saw between 1933 and 1965 came out under the production code when Catholics had control over Hollywood. Oh, I want to ask you about the pornography industry. There's been some talk on the internet i don't follow it but that the jews are heavily involved in the pornography industry i mean i don't want to i don't want to malign the jews because i don't know but you might have an opinion about that but i'm firmly against uh, pornography and all this sort of i'm wearing the shirt today satan respects pronoun someone was asking about it in the live chat what it said but um you know satan is the prince of this world and uh, things like abortion and and pornography are, are very powerful tools very seductive tools to the godless uh, you know fools who fall into that uh, so what do you say about the connection between the Jew, the Jews and uh, pornography? Yeah, it's true. Of course it's true. And they will brag about it at certain points until it becomes inconvenient. It's true. You want to read the, the whole story, you can read Libido Dominandi, uh, uh, and you can read The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, where we go into detail about Jewish control of pornography. That, that crisis came in 1965. Okay, the Jews did not like the fact that there was a Catholic in charge of Hollywood. And so they brought a film up to break the production code. It was called The Pawn Broker. You can look it up. Uh, it's a Holocaust film. They used the Holocaust to break the production code. Oh. They used the Holocaust to smuggle bare breasts onto the big screen. That broke the code. The Catholic Church lost its nerve at oh. that point. Oh. They should have called a boycott. They didn't call a boycott. They backed down. And as a result, now the Jews had total, were on their way to total control of the media, which is what they have now, or what's being contested, obviously, by Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to I shift gears a little bit and talk about corruption in general. Um, and, and I want to talk about the promise that was made in Romans 11, where there's a partial hardening come upon the Jews, but they're going to come back in. And what I always say is that the Jews, you know, they have a false religion today because they rejected their own Messiah that they prophesied. So, you know, I'm very open and honest when it comes to, yeah, I love my enemies. But I mean, if you deny the Christ, uh, you're Antichrist, right? So, um, but there are a lot of Jews coming in even now. Like I just listened to Protestant radio and there was some uh, Messianic Jew and he was preaching Jesus and whatever. And I like that. Obviously, I want him to come the whole way into the Catholic Church. But... Um, you know, uh, with Romans 11, how do you interpret that? And uh, in the meantime, you know, if it's not the very end and the Jews aren't coming in full force now, um, how do you how do you make the distinction between a religious Jew who worships the uncaused first cause, the same God that we worship, uh, that religious Jew, and then the corrupt, godless Jews who like money and pornography and these sorts of things? How do you make that distinction? I don't make that distinction because all Jews are in rebellion against Logos. J 
Jesus Christ is the Logos incarnate. The Jews are the people who killed Christ, and they are enemies of the entire human race. That's St. Paul. I didn't say that. That's St. Paul. Now, we reached a crisis here after, after uh, Vatican II, after World War II, largely because of the Holocaust narrative, which is my latest book. This crisis became... Uh, came we had we played a role culture wars magazine played a role in this in 19 around 2009 we published an article by robertson jenis uh, which took issue with the catechism of the catholic church of the united states bishops in that catechism it stated that the mosaic covenant is eternally valid that's false that is a heretical statement when we pointed it out the bishops actually recognized that and they told the editors of the catechism to take it out. So the Catholic bishops in the United States understood their, uh, their duty as representatives of magisterium. They acted on it. They recognized that it was heretical. They ordered the people to take it out who were in charge of that edition, and those people did not follow their orders. Oh. And so what you have here is a crisis where the whole idea of uh, dual covenant theology is basically uh, de facto the teaching of this group of people in the United States of America uh, and other places throughout throughout the world, throughout the Catholic Church. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I have a, a sad story about uh, during COVID, and I, I think it's getting a little bit safer to talk about COVID now that some time's gone by. But I was violently accosted uh, and uh, abused, basically, in a Catholic church because I went in without a vaccine passport and uh but i had permission from my bishop to do so he said you're never going to be turned away from a catholic church if you're catholic you don't need a vaccine passport you don't need to get jabbed you know right, uh, right. that's what my bishop told me and when i went in and followed his instructions they violently threw me out and they said i okay. can never come back until i get the vaccine i can never come back can I, can I ask you where that was montreal canada is a, in a very bad situation yeah. okay canada is a much just doesn't have the traditions that we have in the United States of America. It's got a docile population. And the crucial problem with the Canadian Catholic Church is the Winnipeg statement that the Canadian bishops made in 1968. Oh. They rejected Humane Vitae. Oh. Well, you, you, can't, you can't reject the solemn magisterium of the Catholic Church as articulated by the Pope uh, Pope Paul VI, and not expect serious consequences. And what they did, well, if if you now <coughs> can reject what the Pope says, what is your what is the basis for your authority? There's only one answer to that question. That's the state, because there's uh, only two options here: uh, it's the church or it's the state. I got to tell you something. I got to interject here. I got to tell you something. When I was like accosted and thrown out of the church, and I had this security guard with his knee on my chest, and I'm in the parking lot flailing. And people are filming me. I said, "Hey, put this on YouTube. I want I want to see this footage." But in any case, I you know um, I appealed to the security guard. I appealed to the cops because there were like six cops who came. I appealed to everyone, and uh, I said, "Are you Catholic?" Yes. Okay. Well, you understand there's a hierarchy. We have God. We have the Pope. We have the bishops. We have you know there's a whole hierarchy. And my bishop told me I can come in. Who are who who's the secure snotty no security guard? to tell me that I can't come in. And who are the cops to tell me that I can't come in? And they deferred to the, the, the politics. They said, well, the state says that there is an emergency. And so, you know, we're listening to what the state says. And I said, well, what about the hierarchy? What about God, the Pope, the bishops, and so on and so forth? The, 
this is precisely the issue. The United States of America it makes it clear that no, the state cannot interfere in religious matters inside the church. So if the bishop says you're allowed to go to the church in the United States, the government can't say no. Uh, but but what happens when you have people like the Jesuits going over to the dark side, becoming servants of the deep state? What happens when the Catholic bishops in Canada reject the church's teaching on contraception? There's only the state becomes the supreme authority in Canada. That's why you're in trouble. I got to say something. I got to say something here. I want to get your feedback on this. It's very important. In Canada, we have a constitution. I don't know if you've ever read it. Probably not. It's short. You could read it very quickly. Um, there have been amendments and changes made to the constitution, obviously, over the past couple hundred years. And one of those changes, I think, is very interesting and scary and sobering is that they changed, you know, uh, being under the sovereignty of God to that Canada is now under the sovereignty of God and other deities. Who are these other deities, if not demons? This is outrageous. Who, who are they? What do you mean? You mean you have to obey some demon or some uh, other deity on some unspecified other deity? That's outrageous. That's outrageous. They, the state just lost all legitimacy by making that claim. They could have said the people or whatever that means, but other deities, that's preposterous. And that's the problem with Canada. If the Catholic Church is not strong, the state has all power and they will determine the policy of the church. The bishops opened the door to that with the Winnipeg Statement in 1968. What else happened in 1968 in Canada? Pierre Trudeau became prime minister. And you put those two things together, and I think you understand how you got to the situation you're in right now. How do we fight our way out of it? I know you're not here to help the little Canadians to win their battles, but what, what vision do you have? Like, other than me hiding away with my quietism and praying and hoping and, you know, uh, what's the solution? Like, I don't, I don't believe in protesting. I don't believe in going in the streets with my signs because they're only going to allow it if it's ineffective. If it is effective, they're going to shut it down and take your bank account and everything like you saw with the truckers. Right. Absolutely. That was the message of the trucker strike. Look, it's not just Canada. I'm dealing with the same situation in Ireland. I'm dealing with the same situation in Germany. Germany is the worst, absolute worst situation because this because they lost the war and they were completely helpless and could not resist the imposition of American social engineering. So in all of these instances, first thing you have to do is establish the real history of what happened. I guarantee you that the Canadians don't understand social engineering for the most part because they've not been taught or allowed to teach this this is also true of the germans they have had their identity stolen all catholics are victims of identity theft the same thing is true of ireland your identity has been stolen catholic identity and irish identity are the same thing it was what allowed them to resist the Protestant hegemony uh, tyranny over that island, uh, island for, for years. So what is the first the solution? If you left the church, go back to the church. Because every time every Irishman left the church, he made the powers on the other side stronger. And sooner or later, you're going to reach critical mass where the leaders, are going, the leaders of the church are going to realize that their job is to defend the flock in Ireland against the wolves. Nobody can define these terms now. What do we mean by wolves now? Google, YouTube, all of these NGOs that speak 
for anonymous people. I'll get you very specific about Canada. Canadians Against Hate Network. This is a preposterous NGO. It was created by a guy named Bernie Farber, a Jew. Okay. Uh, he now can make statements that uh, will be immediately accepted by Canadian law enforcement. Just had a book coming. Uh, book come out. I wish I had a copy to hold up in front of you, but it's by uh, a lady by the name of Karima Saad. She's one of the authors, and I believe uh, Lisa Hardigan is the other author. The Bernie's, Bernie Farber creates this NGO out of thin air. Suddenly, he's getting all of this funding, and then he starts going after people like uh, I think his name is uh, Jeremy McKenzie. He says things about him whenever the uh, the uh, the Canadian equivalent of the ADL says something, the law enforcement officials immediately accept it as true, and he's guilty until proven innocent. That's the situation in Canada. The problem is Canadians Against Hate Network. This is not the government, but it is de facto the government. It's above the government. And that is precisely the issue we have to contend with across Europe and the United States or Australia. Who's running the show here? Who's running the show? Is it the elected officials or is it the Canadians, these NGOs that are getting funding, the Jewish-led NGOs that are using the Holocaust to tyrannize all of us? Uh, do you think it's a coincidence that the, <clears throat> that the Jews are so prominent in positions of power or is it because they're God's chosen people and they're going to come in after the partial hardening wears off, as St. Paul said in Romans 11. They are not, they are not God's chosen people. They were God's chosen people. The Catholic Church is the new Israel. Yeah, yeah. This is the new covenant. Yeah. That old covenant was destroyed the moment that, that Jesus Christ was crucified. The veil of the temple was rent. And then uh, 70 years later, the temple was destroyed. That covenant is bound up with the temple. The Jews have no priesthood, they have no sacrifice, and they have no temple, and so therefore they cannot expiate sins. That covenant is over. Now, there's no curse on the Jewish people. The Jews can be saved, but yeah. they have to do it the new way now, and the new way is baptism. Yeah, You have to be baptized. You're not going to be saved by your DNA if you're a Jew anymore. You were never yeah. going to be saved by, by your DNA, although some Jews felt that way. That's what the Jews, when they argued with Jesus Christ, saying, we're the seed of Abraham, as if they had some type of sacred DNA, and Jesus Christ rejected that. He could uh, raise up the stones to be sons of Abraham or whatever he said. Absolutely. That's so, what he said. But 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 the thing is that we're wild olive branches grafted onto the natural olive tree of the Jews. And no, if it's, no if it's, that's if, wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. The tree is God. The tree is Jesus Christ. The Jews are a branch and the Gentiles are a branch. If you don't understand that, you don't understand the imagery. The Jews are the branch that has fallen off the tree, which is Jesus Christ. That's what you're not grafted on to a Jew. You're grafted on to God. <laughs> but Jesus is a Jew. <laughs> so I'm grafted onto a Jew. Jesus is. This is we have to come to some serious understanding of something like the Gospel of St. John. Is Jesus a Jew? What does John say? The Jew, St. John uses the word Jew 71 times in the gospel and 70 times as pejorative. So what do, we have to look at it. What does it mean when we say the parents of the man born blind refuse to speak out of fear of the Jews? 
because the Jews threatened to expel from the synagogue anyone who said that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, weren't they Jews? Weren't the parents of the man born blind Jews? Well, no. It turns out that they weren't, because by this point in salvation history, a Jew is a rejecter of Jesus Christ. That's the new identity of the Jew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was listening to Tom Cantor on Protestant radio, and he said that uh, he, he used to be a Jew, and now he's a Christian, a Protestant, but um, he said that he was in this process of becoming an Israeli citizen, but there was one question that prevented him from getting citizenship. It was like, do you believe that Jesus is God? And he said, yes. And they said, well, sorry, you can't be, you can't be a citizen of Israel. So he, he emphasizes this, he's Protestant, but he emphasizes this, that the identity of the Jews is not ethnic, it's antichrist. That's the identity Absolute, of the Jews. Yes, you're right, you're right. And that's proof. So uh, what is, uh, if you have a Jewish mother, you can become a citizen of Israel unless you got baptized. Uh, now, what did, what did baptism do to your DNA? Uh, did, did that water <laughs> on your forehead change your DNA? No, it didn't. <laughs> what this means is that the Jews are admitting exactly what Cantor said, that the Jews have a negative identity. They are anti-Christian. That's their only identity. You can have as much Jewish DNA as possible. doesn't matter. If you get baptized, you're not a Jew. What about, uh, without getting into the weeds too much, I'm just curious about the, the state of Israel. By, by my intuition, I oppose the foundation of the state of Israel, but I'm not educated on the, the matter. I'm sure you oppose the state of Israel too, but uh, you may have more justification for your, for your beliefs. But it just seems to me like uh, the Palestinians got a raw deal. I mean, uh, what's your take on all that? This was uh, the, the Holocaust. The Holocaust created the state of Israel. It started earlier uh, with the Balfour Agreement, where basically the the uh, the Jews uh, wanted uh, support. Uh, the the British, okay, the British wanted support in World War One. Uh, the Jews said, "We'll give you support if you give us Israel." That was the Balfour Agreement. It didn't happen until after World War Two. The moment that the thing that pushed this was the Holocaust. That narrative got created as a way of uh, basically uh, ab absolving the Allies from uh, responsibility for war crimes, uh, but it took on a life of its own, and basically that is the justification for basically everything that happened since that time, all the way up to the trucker strike, all the way up to the trucker strike. Wow. So um, when it comes to Islam, you haven't really talked about Islam. I had an interesting guest on, um, Robert. Uh, he's very he's very anti-Islam. Um, yeah. Spencer. Spencer. Robert, yeah. Robert Spencer. Yeah. I had him on, yeah. and he's very very he's very like he seems very pro-Jew, very anti-Muslim. Um, right. I found that a bit strange. For he's a Christian of some sort, Orthodox or something. Uh, what's his uh, deal? Do you think? The Muslim basher. You can make money by being a Muslim basher. I got a guy named, well, you guy who used to write for us, uh, Kirk Kilpatrick, uh, used to be against uh, sex education and stuff like that. He now says he's getting money from the Shulman Foundation. He's proud of it. I wouldn't say that if I were a journalist. At the bottom of these Muslim bashing articles, he said this article was written with the assistance of the Shulman Foundation. So you can make money from Jewish foundations if you bash Muslims. It's obvious. And Spencer's one of them.
the catechism says that the Jews and the Muslims worship the same God that we do. And I, I believe it's true. It's the uncaused first cause of uh, classical theism. What's your take on all that? I don't, I don't agree with that. I think Muslims worship the same God as we do. I've said this many times. Muslim, Islam is in many ways a Christian heresy. But when the Jews come out, as they did a year ago, and say abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, they cannot be worshiping Yahweh. They do not worship Yahweh. If you believe in gay marriage and all the things that Jews have promoted, especially abortion, you are not worshiping Yahweh. You're worshiping Moloch. Yeah, well, it was like when Moses came down from the mountain and smashed the tablets because they were having an orgy or whatever. It's like, you know, we're we're not all good Catholics. We're striving to be good Catholics, and same with the Jews. Like, so hopefully, some of them, you know, are pro-life, and I'm sure there are many religious Jews who are pro-life. Don't you acknowledge that? And you don't you love these people for that? There are some people who are Jews who are pro-life. Yes, I'm not disputing that. I talked to Ben Shapiro. Okay. So Ben Shapiro shows up in South Bend, Indiana, and he's giving this talk about blah blah blah. And so the first question I got up there, and I said, Ben. Uh, 135, this was 135, it's now over 400, 135 Jewish organizations have said abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. Why aren't you preaching to them instead of the choir here in South Bend? He said, that's not true. That's not true. I said, wait a minute, Ben. I, I know you're pro-life, but to say that 135 or 400 Jewish organizations, it's majority rules here, Ben, unless you're the Jewish pope. What are you going to do, excommunicate all these people? You're telling me they're not real Jews? Well, they would say the same thing with more justification about you. You're the outlier, not these people. And so I'm saying that I take them at face value. I accept what the Jews say. When they say 100, 400 Jewish organizations say that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, I believe them. But that means that they do not worship Yahweh. They worship Moloch. Yahweh does not ask for human sacrifice. Moloch does. Yeah, well, we all know that there are many Christians and even Catholics uh, getting abortions, and it's, it's just a tragedy. It's it's really sad, and not to mention, you know, watching pornography and all the other scenes, adultery, whatever. Um, do you mind? Do you mind if we switch gears just a little bit? Because I'm curious. I'm very curious what you would have to say about the colonization. You know, this is uh, demonized by the liberal West. You know, the colonization and the church coming to North America and uh, killing the natives with disease and forcibly converting them. Uh, I asked uh, Steve Cunningham about this from Census Fidelium, and he said, "Oh, there's a good book about uh, Father um, what's his name that came, the Jesuit who came and." Uh, converted the the native peoples Isaac, here Isaac Isaac Jogues no it was um Schmidt de Schmidt father de Schmidt father de Schmidt okay. anyway and there's another book I'm reading now the Spanish history of America or something like that the Spanish roots of America or something like that but I'm, I'm curious about your vision for like the church obviously the church is good but the church they're corrupt members of the church always um and the uh, you know Alta Vendita the uh, Freemasons infiltrated and all these sorts of things but, you know, I believe that Christ and the church are one and it's working for good in the world. And when the church came to North America, I'm very touched and moved by the stories that I'm reading in this biography of Father DeSmet because the native people were hungry for God and they converted readily and they really loved the Catholic Church and the Pope and everything else. That's the impression this book gives. But the popular culture says the church is evil because it, it, it forcibly converted people and it right. killed people. What do you say? 
Yeah, look at that. Look at that Indian school. All those dead bodies buried uh, around that Indian school. <laughs> That's proof. That's uh, proof that the Catholic Church is an evil institution, <laughs> is it? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Shh, not supposed to oh, talk it, about it, that. The, uh, the oh, latest developments. <laughs> Put that down the memory hole. Oh, I'm sorry about that. And that <sighs> the Pope, to his shame, put on some stupid Indian headdress and apologized for something that never happened. Oh, if I you always, want. Yeah, I always cringe. Want, I always cringe when when a Pope apologizes from his some historical thing like Galileo or whatever. I'm always cringing when the Church apologizes, but whatever. <laughs> If you want to read the story of the Jesuits, uh, it's a book called The Jesuits in North America by one of the great 19th century uh, United States uh, historians, Francis Parkman. It's a great book. This is a man who pretty much has all the American prejudices against the Catholic Church. He's a kind of transcendentalist. He doesn't like the, what he believes, but he's forced to admire the Jesuits simply for their bravery. For the fact that these guys went off uh, in on the moose hunt, okay, with the Abnaki Indians, because he had to learn Abnaki, because he couldn't talk to the people unless he learned Abnaki, and so there's a Jesuit. They they have to wait till the snow is way waist deep on the Gaspe Peninsula, so they can stab the moose. The moose they cook the moose right there on the spot in a teepee that is full of smoke. And the Jesuit is there with under trying to breathe. It's 20 below zero outside. It's 100 degrees inside. And he's trying to get some fresh air under the tent flap. This is heroic virtue. Yeah. And this man deserves to be called a saint. This is what happened. Okay. Now, you go to the Fort Mitchie Millie Mackinac on the Straits, uh, the Mackinac, uh, Straits of Mackinac. This is a park owned by the state of Michigan, and they have a story about what happened here. And the story begins with the priest, Catholic priest there standing, and there's a voyageur, and there's an Indian maiden, and they're getting married. Okay, this is the Catholic. This is what happened on Prince Edward Island. It's what happened in Newfoundland. What happened in Nova Scotia. The, the, the French intermarried with the Micmac. And they became one people, just like Mexico, another Catholic culture where the, the Hispanics married the Indians. Okay, so what happened here on Fort Millie Mackinac? The English win the war. Okay, now they're in charge. The English come to the fort, and now they put a, a guy in charge of the trading post who's a Jew. This is not me. This is the state of Michigan saying this. The Jew immediately starts cheating the Indians. The Indians at this point are playing high lie or something outside the fort. They throw the ball over it. Can we please come in and get the ball? They open the English, open the gates. The Indians come in and slaughter everyone. And then they announce, we are not, we are loyal sons of the King of France. Don't tell us any of this English stuff. That's the real history of what happened to Canada. Canada has never recovered from this dual kind of dual identity. This French-English-Catholic-Protestant conflict at the heart. There can be no unity in Canada because of that. And the people in charge exploited this disunity with people like uh, Pierre Trudeau and what he did, the way he stabbed the, the Quebecois in the back when he became premier with things like uh, abortion, contraception, all the sexual revolution stuff. That's the story of Canada. You could say the same thing about the Jesuits in Paraguay, 
They brought the Catholic faith to those Indians. They went off into the woods and learned Guarani. So what happened when the English won the war? The Presbyterians show up in Nova Scotia and they say, uh, you have to become Christians. The people say, wait a minute, we're already, we're Catholics. No, no, we mean Presbyterians. And not only, they're not going, they're not only not going to talk in Micmac, they're not going to talk in French. You have to speak English now. And so they say, no, I'm sorry, we're already uh, Catholic, we're already Christian. And so at that point, when the persuasion wears off, they start offering scalp, they, bounties for scalps. This is what the, the, the pious Presbyterians are doing. And then when that doesn't work, they, they engage in ethnic cleansing. They send them to Louisiana. That's the Cajun population. It's les Acadiens. Okay, Cajuns. Because they would not accept, they, this is the tyrannical British Empire that basically was, what is Presbyterianism? It's capitalism. That's what they believed in. That was the religion of the English, and that's what it got imposed on Canada after the French lost the war. Uh, you have a lot to say about everything. It's amazing. You, you, you know a lot. You've read a lot. You've studied a lot. And I really appreciate talking with you. I have another question, which is controversial. It has to do with the green movement, ecology, save the planet, save the whales, ozone layer, global warming, climate change, whatever. Okay, now... In, in the context of the uh, the noble savage living off the land, being in touch with nature and living it with a low carbon footprint, it seems like that's the only solution. Like, are we all going to go back to that? Or are we going to have our electric cars and our iPhones and pretend that that's green? What's your vision for uh, a Catholic vision for how to steward this planet to respect the air, the water, the earth and everything like that in a Catholic way, not in a new age demonic way, but in a Catholic way? And uh, how does that work with technology and capitalism and all the factories that are producing all this pollution? Can we really pay a, a, a tax and that will clean the air and the water and the earth? No, absolutely not. No, I, I had made a contribution to this. I wrote part of the Pope, papal encyclical Laudate Si. No way. I wrote part of, no, I did. I no did. Way. I, met, I met with a, a member of the State Department in the Vatican. I, I had a meeting with them. I said, look, you, the church is not preaching the gospel. There were three areas. I said, you're not preaching the gospel on the Jews. He said, oh, can't do that because of Francis. Uh, you're not preaching on church and state. He said, I said, do you know who John Courtney Murray is? He said, no, never heard of him. I said, well, there's, that's the end of that. And then I said, you're not preaching the gospel on usury. And at uh. this point, his, his ears perked up and he said, well, what do you mean? And I started talking about the ecological uh, angle for usury, which is basically the world uh, The world bank will come in and will lend money to Ecuador. Great. That means the, the ruling class elite skims the money off, and now they can't pay back their loan because these loans are unrepayable. So what happens then? Well, we'll make a deal. Uh, give us your rainforest. And at that point, they come in and clear-cut the rainforest. This, in other words, usury is one of the main threats to uh, the uh, ecology on the planet right now. That's my contribution to Laudate Si. The wow. Pope, cha they changed the word usury to debt in the encyclical, but then when the Pope went to uh, the United Nations, he used the word usury. Nice. That's the first time the Pope has used the word usury since uh, Rerum Novarum, 1893, and that was my doing. So I, 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 if you want to get to the heart of the matter, that's the heart of the matter. It's the world economic system. It's usury, basically coercing all these states to hand over their natural resources. 
let me ask you a very spiritual question the people who have a lot of power a lot of money they can have all the women young women they want whatever or if they, maybe they like young boys i don't know but they can have the drugs the fancy drugs and everything they want pleasure and they go to nice beaches and have nice food um probably they're not happy like uh, i forget who said you'll own nothing and you'll be happy well i say well you'll own everything and you won't be happy so yeah, you know uh what's the deal like why why don't people wake up and realize like uh the true happiness comes from dying to self living in christ um it, it doesn't it get stale you know whacking off to pornography all the time and just going to just going through the motions with all this pleasure seeking and uh killing inconvenient pregnancies or inconvenient children in the womb and these sorts of things don't you don't people want to just naturally repent after yeah, li living that do. lifestyle like what they happens do. well what happened is 19 it was called no fap november and i i think i played a role in that uh because of libido dominandi i said sexual liberation is a form of control now, when I said that in 2000, everybody laughed at me. No, it's the opposite. Pornography means freedom. And then I said, uh, well, pal when the Israeli army went into Ramallah, and, uh, the first thing they did was take over those TV stations, and they started broadcasting pornography over Palestinian TV stations. I was the guy who broke that story. Okay, and at that point, you have to explain to me why the Israelis want to bring freedom to the Palestinians, because that's what pornography is. Isn't it freedom? No, no, it's the opposite. It's slavery. Now, this is a generation that woke up and realized I'm a slave to my cell phone. I am a total slave. I am totally powerless. All I had to do for most of them was just come along and say, well, it was intended to be that way. If you if you go and you be you get involved in pornography, you will become a slave to your to that little machine, and that was enough to convert some people. Some people just stopped because of that. Now it's, it's a vicious habit, and it takes a while. You know, it takes a lot of uh, effort to break it. But once you had the proper explanation, then they saw it in a completely different light, and so that was where the change took place, and it's going to continue to change that way. Why why is there a men's movement the past 10 15 years like there's a men's movement online a lot of men trying to be manly again try to be good fathers and uh, were you part of that also no but indirectly i am because i'm saying uh, a man has as many masters as he has vices and the men are supposed to be the people in charge and when they realize they are slaves to their own passions they're weak they're ineffective and they hate it and so how am I going to get out of it? That's, that's, there's a natural reaction once you become enslaved. And all I'm saying is, yeah, it's called the slavery of sin. St. Augustine said a man has as many masters as he has vices. And he knew the way out. And the way out is the Catholic Church, specifically the sacrament of confession, yeah. where Jesus Christ, you, you, if you're a Catholic, you say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's big. That's really big. Because what do the Jews do now? They don't have a temple. They can't expiate sin anymore. And so what are they going to do with it? Don't underestimate the power of guilt as a political force. <laughs> the, main, the main pillar of the Democratic Party in the United States of America is women, feminist, largely Catholic women who have had abortions. Once you get an abortion, you become a Jew. 
because abortion <laughs> is a fundamental Jewish value. And how do I know? How do I know you became a Jew? Because you vote like a Jew, and you what you have in Pennsylvania uh, with a lot of Catholics in the state of Pennsylvania, they elected a Jew as the governor. He, he was drawing on that pool of guilt of Catholic women who became feminist, refused to repent for the sin of abortion, and now they're being mobilized as a political force to put the Jew in the governor's office in Pennsylvania. Uh, you bring to mind an interesting uh, hypothesis that uh, I have. There was recently a protest here uh, in Canada. I don't know if it was in the States too, the Million Man March against uh, grooming in the schools, these sorts of things. I don't know if you're right. aware of that. But my my take is it's wholesome families, you know, warts and all. They got their own problems. They're not all Christian either. But they're on one side of this uh, battle. And on the other side, the counter protesters were very angry and colorful and, uh, you know, masked up and everything. And uh, the overwhelming feeling I got from watching the counter protesters is that, uh, you know, they're protesting too much because it betrays a certain guilt. And uh, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen talked about that when he would meet a, a hysterical woman. He always knew she had an abortion or she had some big sin. Right. right. So yeah. Uh, yeah. there's one famous story where he pushed this one woman into the confessional and uh, sort of made her confess. And then she became a nun later, whatever. But, um, you know, there's this guilt complex that you bring to mind. And one of my hypotheses about uh, homosexuality, like what, what's considered very non-controversial today, just to be LG on the LGBTQIAS, whatever, um, it's considered very vanilla now and acceptable just, just to be a straight up gay, like that's like almost inoffensive now in our society, um, as if sodomy is not a crying out to heaven. But uh, my, my hypothesis has always been that all perverts all sexual perverts know that they're wrong they know that it's sin and i have it from good sources that even father james martin you may not believe this but even he knows that it's sin and he is working with these people in a very very gentle way because he knows that every pervert knows that they are sinners and that they're they have a guilt complex so that's why i don't give up hope on father james martin in spite of your tirade against him I think that maybe he's playing some 5D chess, but I want you to focus not on him, but on the guilt complex and the fact that everyone knows it's wrong if you have an abortion or if you're sodomizing your boyfriend or whatever. They know it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, they know yeah, it's wrong. That, uh, they know uh, it's uh, wrong. Right, it, right. It's a, a good example is Michel Foucault. Uh, uh, he he uh, the, he is the the philosopher of the 21st all, century. All power is power over. Right. So he, he's saying pretty much the same thing I'm saying about these enlightenment structures. They're basically systems of control. But he doesn't understand he's being controlled by his own homosexuality. So what happens? Okay, he hated the enlightenment state for one reason, because they wouldn't punish him because he was a sodomite. <laughs> and, and so what happens when the state won't punish you for being a sodomite? You punish yourself. And so what did he end up doing? He goes to San Francisco. He's teaching at Berkeley. He goes to the bathhouses where he engages in sadomasochism because he wants to be punished. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Alan Kinsey? I've seen a couple of documentaries about him. Seems like a really sick, 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 sick man. The Kinsey Report, and he was masturbating three-year-old children and... 50 times yes. a day and all these sorts of, allegedly, I don't know, but they're building statues to him like he's a hero of, uh, he's some kind of hero? Like what, what's going on? <laughs> no, he, 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 his star 
first of all, he was a creation of the CIA. Oh. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, what was the 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 uh, public relations outlet for the CIA in 1947 up to 1953? What well, 47 is when the first Quincy book came out, the uh, Kinsey Report. Uh, it was Time Magazine. The Time Magazine put him on the cover, uh, and he's got just like me. He's got a bow tie, but he's got a crew cut. And a crew cut and a bow tie are just a dead giveaway that you're a Boy Scout and you're a straight a straight arrow. Okay. Now, why did they do that? Well, because everybody knew at a certain point that he was a homosexual and that the whole Kinsey report had nothing to do with Alfred Kinsey, by the way, had nothing uh, to do with, with science. It was homosexual advocacy. That's what it was. And I was one of the the, the lady who uh, brought this to everyone's attention was Judith Reisman, Jewish lady, who looked at that table, what, table 130 or something like that, where he's got all this data about children being molested. Well, wait a minute. Didn't that break the law? Weren't you breaking the law here? She was the first one to raise it. I went down and basically uh, interviewed the surviving members of the team that did it. Uh, went to, I'm, I live in Indiana, so it wasn't far down to Bloomington. And I started saying, look, was, was Kinsey a homosexual? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't say. I mean, they're just sworn to uh, Gebhardt. Paul Gebhardt was the guy I interviewed. He said, I swore to secrecy. We'll never reveal any of this type of stuff. Well, then another guy by the name of Jones came out. Another Jones wrote a book, Biography of Kinsey, in which he established beyond a doubt that Kinsey was a homosexual. At that point, he lost all scientific credibility. Now, this was significant because the main vehicle for breaking obscenity laws in Germany after World War II or during the 1950s was the Kinsey Report. Report became a German word because of Kinsey. There was a, uh, uh, the German word for report is Bericht, Bericht, but suddenly after Kinsey, all these softcore porn films came out like uh, the Schulmädchen Report. The schoolgirl report. In other words, this was all influenced by Kinsey. And at that point, the Catholic Church lost its nerve because they accepted the narrative that Kinsey was a scientist. That's preposterous. He was, a, he was an entomologist. If, 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 he was an expert on gall wasps. Now, how that makes you an expert on sexuality, I don't know. But he, the Rockefellers gave him money. That means you're real, a real scientist. And they, he carried that forward until Jones's book came out, and it became clear that Kinsey was a homosexual. And that's, oh, now we see the agenda. It's all bogus science. It's not real. And the whole thing collapsed. And so I maybe they're going to put a statue up to him or something like that. But that's over. That era is over. The final nail in the science coffin was COVID, by the way. Yeah, but that's it's the same. It's the same story. Uh, you know, I've got this pet theory that uh, well, you've read you've read the book of Tobit. You know, uh, you're probably gonna have to wrap it up here soon, right? But the book of Tobit, they talk about um, you know before they do the marital act, they talk about this is we're not engaging in this for lust, but for you, God, to you know, to be united in marriage and. Uh, it's a very beautiful prayer that uh, Tobit and his wife pray before they engage in the marriage act. Do you remember that scene? Sure. Um, yeah. So my thesis about sexual perversion is that there's sex, which is a Catholic thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it happens in marriage uh, between a man and a woman that are not closely related, et cetera, et cetera. Mutual self-giving as the Catholic church 
defines marriage and uh, sex is a beautiful thing but everything else even if it happens ostensibly between married catholics everything else that's not pure and chaste and holy sex is just masturbation in various different forms and we could go from this what looks like a very traditional catholic husband and wife doing mutual masturbation even though they think that they're engaging in sex but they're not it's mutual masturbation because their head is not in the right place um we can go from that all the way to raping and torturing uh children for fun and for pleasure that's an extreme form of of masturbation or just your run-of-the-mill gays uh doing each other up the butt and thinking that's an expression of love it's just you're just masturbating into each other's orifices so that's my thesis i don't like to like i don't like to say that there are lesbians there are gays there are bisexual and these sorts of things i say that there are catholic people having catholic sex that's good and every other sexual thing is just masturbation what's your uh, reaction to that oversimplification there's no such thing as catholic sex there is sex. first of all just sex sex, sex is a word that is a kind of scientific word it's love it's love or lust that's it okay those are the two alternatives love yeah. takes place when sexual activity takes place within marriage and it's open to procreation yeah. open to life if if it's not that it's wrong yeah gotta be that that's yeah. the only that is the plan that god created when he created the human body and there's no other alternative to that and you're right in saying anything else is sinful and a form of masturbation you're right because there's a sort of identity politics we have now where it's like i'm gay i'm this i'm trans you know and i think it muddies the waters and i, I like a more pure simplified vision like what you said love versus lust or what i say sex versus masturbation because it sort of it removes the power of these labels that are, that are very powerful for lobby groups, right? When it comes absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's the whole point of propaganda is to create a category of the mind and impose it on reality by force, simply by the force of the media. The over get the media to repeat this uh, this category of reality. Uh, I'm sorry, category of the mind, and then people think it's real. I mean, to get back to our favorite topic here, this is what uh, anti-Semitism is. This is a category of the mind that basically is used as a form of political control. This is when you talk about this LGBT, all that blah, 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 blah. It's all categories of the mind that are to distract you from the reality of the sexual situation, which is basically has to be within marriage. Doesn't have to be Catholic. Has to be within marriage. And it has to be uh, open to procreation. That is the fundamental element. It's unitive and it's procreative. That's what uh, Pope Paul VI yeah. said in, in uh, Humanae Vitae. I, I just want to clarify, when I say it's Catholic, I mean, in the sense that uh, St. Justin Martyr said, you know, if it's true, it belongs to us Catholics. If it's true, it belongs to us Christians. So if it's true, it's Catholic. If it's Catholic, it's true. And uh, there are saving elements uh, uh, of the church outside of her visible boundaries, as Vatican II says. But I want to switch topics just quickly because I know you have to go. Um, young Earth creationism. I'm a young Earth creationist. I believe the whole universe is about 7,200 and some odd years old. Uh, you mentioned uh, Robert Sugenis. Uh, he's like a geocentrist. I'm not quite there with the geocentrism, but I, I kind of want to be. Uh, what's your take on the science? Do you trust the science? Millions of years of suffering and death before Adam and Eve were... Uh, conceived in the womb of a beast or what do you believe about uh, that yeah first of all i completely agree with bob st about geocentrism okay. uh, uh, but secondly i i'll 
I was just giving a talk in St. Louis, and I talked about the paintings on the ceiling of the cave in Altamira, Spain. And I said they were done 30,000 years ago. Uh, 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 so they, they asked this priest to come up and give me a blessing. And he says, before I give the blessing, I have to tell Dr. Jones that he's flat out wrong. It couldn't have happened 30 years ago because the world is only 6,000 years old. So at that point, I thought this was kind of impolite to say this in this way. Uh, but what I should have said was, okay, you tell me when it happened. When was the ceiling painted on the cave in Altamira? Altamira? I mean, we know that there's something called history, uh, but this is clearly before there's any historical record. When did it happen? And I'm saying right now we are confronted with two uh, irreconcilable narratives, which is basically the geological record and their interpretation of it, and adding up the chronologies in the Bible, which is not really a Catholic. That's not a Catholic thing. The Catholics have never, that was uh, Bishop Usher. That was not uh, Catholic. Uh, the Catholic position is, first of all, that the scriptures are the word of God. Okay, I agree with that. When you're talking about St. John, he was there. He saw the crucifixion, and he says it at the end of the gospel. I saw it. I was there. What I'm saying is true, an eyewitness account. There is no eyewitness account to the creation of the universe. Okay? This is a different, different situation. You don't think Moses saw it in a mystical vision? There's no evidence of that. Well, read Genesis. No. Have you read Genesis? <laughs> I have read Genesis. Yeah. I'm talking. I'm talking about the only. I uh, Moses was not there at the beginning of the universe. Okay. That's like saying Saint Paul. That's God, like saying. That's God. like saying. No, but that's like saying Saint Paul didn't meet Jesus. It's the same sort of thing. Well, there's a mystical, no, supernatural. No, thing. it isn't. No, it is a perfectly true statement to say that Moses was not present at the creation of the universe. That is completely was true. Was he there at the transfiguration? Of course, he was. Okay, so he could be there at the beginning. Uh, I don't see a problem. There's no evidence. Produce the evidence that uh, uh, Moses got in a time machine and was transported back to the moment well, of creation. Well, the, the evidence is that the church traditionally has always uh, given a pretty precise uh, age of the universe, right? Like in the. Uh... If you're telling, if you're saying to me, God told Moses, assuming he's the author of Genesis that God told Moses what happened at the beginning. I'm saying you're right. But God, this is revelation. This is absolutely true. And what is the fundamental statement of Genesis? The world revolutionary statement was basically in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Plato didn't know that. Aristotle didn't know that. They thought the world was eternal. This is only through revelation do we know this because God told it to Moses. That's a sentence that changed the world. Now, if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to get down into the weeds and say that, uh, you know, that uh, man was created on September 32nd in the year, at two o'clock in the afternoon in the year 2032, uh, you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, yeah. That's not the Catholic Church's teaching. So what 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 did Pius XII affirm in Humani Generis? in the 1950s, basically that God, we're talking about creation, that the human being is just an act of special creation, that he came into being whole and completely human at the very beginning, okay, and that the entire human race has descended from two actual human beings known as Adam and Eve. Now, I accept all of those propositions. Okay. Okay, that's cool. 
Uh, I don't think, you know, there's uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe, he talks about the, uh, the Immaculate Conception dogma and how it's a unique privilege and that that dogma alone, you know, not to mention some other dogmas, that dogma alone proves that Adam was not conceived in the womb of any creature because he would have been immaculately conceived. So that's his take. And I think that's a pretty much a slam dunk. You don't need, you don't need Maximilian Kolbe to tell you that God, Adam was a unique creation. What is the main enemy of this? It's yeah. evolution. Yeah. Yeah. This godless Darwinian evolution yeah. that said somehow that there's a gradual becoming a human being. There's nothing gradual about becoming a human being. I've been. I, if you want the story on this, read Logos Rising. Okay. 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 Because I deal with I deal with these the four atheists and their Darwinism. So you, there is there, you, is there is there is when you're talking about creation, yeah. there is no intermediary stage between nothing and something. Okay can't be any intermediary stage there. It's either nothing or it's something. Yeah. And to go from nothing to something is something only God can do. He creates, it's called creation ex nihilo, from nothing. But there are a lot of Catholics today, the majority believe in some sort of theistic evolution where God sort of guided this process and there was suffering and disease and death before Adam and Eve came on the scene. You don't buy any of that? There was no suffering. And, what do you mean? There were no human beings before Adam and Eve. That's impossible. Yeah. Adam and Eve were the first human beings. I know. And they had to be a special act of creation. Yeah. But you you are like an old earth creationist. Is that what you would call yourself? Or I don't for lack of a better a, term. I told you, I told you we have two separate chronologies that cannot be reconciled at this moment of time. Oh, okay. I will I will make a stab yeah. at this. I think that Adam and Eve came into existence 70,000 years ago, between 70,000 and 80,000 years ago. Oh, Based oh. on, there's there's kind of DNA corroboration, oh, okay. the mitochondrial Eve. I think that's a one way to make a bridge between the geological and the biblical chronologies. I would call, I would classify you, whether you like it or not, I would classify you as a young earth creationist then, because that's young. <laughs> 70,000 years is young. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying. It is. No, wait a minute, no, wait a minute. I'm not saying the earth came into existence then. Uh, I'm saying uh, Adam and Eve came into uh, existence Oh, uh, the universe you'd give billions of years to. I didn't, I'm not saying that. I'm saying take that's a stab, one take chronology. A stab, take a stab, take a stab at the age of the universe. Not, it, it's, it would be preposterous. The stab, I've already taken the stab. I think that there is some type of corroborative elements about 70 to 80,000 years ago. I, that's my personal opinion. It's not church dogma. It's nothing but my personal opinion and my attempt to align two completely disparate chronologies at this point. You know, there's a dogma at the, at the Council of Vienna that says, Vienna or however you pronounce it, that says that the soul is the form of the body. That seems also like uh, uh something that uh, violates uh, evolution there are many I, I know you're not you're not defending evolution but i'm just saying it's fascinating how the church has many dogmas that preclude evolution and yet if you talk to an average catholic today they believe in evolution so again maybe this is just the propaganda of the enemy uh and the use of words to uh to uh, d deceive us right and it helps with I, the sexual I, stuff. I, I, it helps I, with the sexual stuff too, because if we're just animals, if we're just apes, even if we claim to be Catholic and we go to church, if we if we believe that we're just apes that evolved into humans and that apes have homosexuality, why shouldn't we? And these sorts of things. I think right. evolution helps us to be corrupt when it comes to sexuality too, right? Could be, if, depending on how you use it. If you're saying that the soul, I believe that the soul is the form of the body. Aristotle said that. 
But what does he mean by the form of the body? What does he mean? He said, if the body were a hatchet, the soul would be chopping. Okay. If the body were an eye, the soul would be seeing. Okay. Now, this is sophisticated. This is not Plato. Uh, Plato felt that the soul was a, an angel in the machine. Oh. He felt that the soul was a, 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 the pilot on a ship. Uh, yeah, Ar words, Aristotle said it's the tension in the strings that makes the soul of the violin, right? The tension in the st strings. Right. So, but, so this, is, this is the type of sophistication. What this means then is that you can't have a, a neutral body uh, where you pour a soul into it. That doesn't work. Uh, you can't have a, an ape where you pour a human soul <laughs> into it. That's not going to work. Yeah. That's not going to work. This is an all or nothing thing. Soul and body had to come into existence at exactly the same moment, just as they do right now with human procreation. Absolutely. Uh, do you have a few more minutes or you have to go? Yeah, let's have one more question. Okay. I, do, I well, do have to go. My last question is the most important one. One of my uh, friends and listeners, he said that he's never, ever seen E. Michael Jones smile ever. So I'm wondering, All right. can you give us a can you give us a smile? No, can you give us a smile? Absolutely not. <laughs> Why? Absolutely. Why? It's completely out of character. <laughs> oh my god! Completely out. It would ruin my gravitas. What? What is okay? Last question. What is? What do your enemies say about you? And uh, you know, do you do you get accused of being? like grumpy or you know stern no, response or, or 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 confrontational or aggressive or what's what's your reputation from the negative side because the people who I'm love you love you the people who love you love you but what do your enemies say i'm an anti-semite <laughs> very simple how would i know if i'm an anti-semite according to the adl how would i know that you won't that's okay. the whole point you won't did the canadians did the truckers know they were Nazis? No. Did they know that? No, they didn't know it until Yara Sack said it. That's the problem. You, there's nothing you can do to prevent your, to protect yourself from this group of people. Nothing. And if, I if say, you do something they don't like, they will create a fiction and they will destroy your reputation. I don't have a reputation, but anyway, if I say if I'm if I say I'm not an anti-Semite, that's just what all anti-Semites say, right? Absolutely. Every anti-Semite <laughs> says that. For, what more proof do we need? He claims he's not an anti-Semite. Great talking to you. Great meeting you. I really enjoyed it. And you have so much to say. It's amazing. I hope, because uh, you're getting up in years, I hope before you go to your heavenly reward that you're going to, uh, you know, put everything else on paper that you haven't yet put on paper. Where can people get your books? Go to Fidelity Press dot org uh the holocaust narrative is now for sale it just came out a week ago or you can go to culturewars.com and you can buy the books there or you can subscribe to culture wars magazine which i've been doing for over 40 years now someone in the live chat asked if you have any jewish friends by chance i have many jewish friends <laughs> some some of them have converted to catholicism some of them have not not yet Go, read read Culture Wars magazine. You uh, read the letter that Yehuda Littman, an Orthodox Jew from uh, Brooklyn, just wrote uh, talking about me and Culture Wars magazine. I'm not making this up. It's I'm in not, the letters column. 
Amazing. Thank you so much. I hope you come back sometime and chat with me again. And I, I hope my ignorance and uh, naivete uh, didn't rub you the wrong way, but it was just great uh, picking your brain a bit. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And if, if you, you come up with new questions yeah. or a better understanding, let's do it again. Of course. Thank you so much. Take good care. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.